when we see this Panama team play and play so poorly, it's natural to imagine what could have been. I hope that the U.S. men's national team players are watching. It should hurt. It should hurt badly. I hope that it's a pain that doesn't go away. Hello, sunshine, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. I am Alexi Lawless, and this is the podcast where we look at soccer through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. Uh, this is a change in format because we are coming to you from Russia. Yes, we continue on with this incredible World Cup. This will be a abbreviated uh, State of the Union, so segments like Mossy Makes the Case and Ask Alexi will be back once again when we are stateside. But until then, we continue on with this incredible World Cup. And before we go further, I have to introduce my friend, David Mossy. We are in different places, so you have to bear with us when it comes to the audio uh, and the fact that uh, we are not in the same room uh, because we are off doing different things in different places as we work this World Cup. David Mossy, how are you? I'm good. Uh, the grind isn't getting to me at all. I am fresh as a daisy still. <laughs> uh, I, on the other hand, um, come to you from bed. I am laying in bed. Uh, I have lost count, as I said uh, last week, of the the days, dates mean absolutely nothing. Uh, it is all blended into one. Although, uh, as we talk to you right now, we wake up on the first day that, that, that does not have at least three games. We are on to the simultaneous uh, kickoff times, and therefore our schedule uh, lightens up a little bit. But uh, we have made it through. Uh, and, I, and last time I checked, I did 31 games in a row of the 32 games. I did have one game off at one point, but we are still three weeks away from the actual final. Uh, so we are in the middle of the tournament, but that huge workload of the group stage and the three games a day group stage uh, is over. But we do come to the end of this World Cup uh, in terms of the group stage, and we find ourselves at a point where these these groups or these game threes uh, are meaning a lot. So I'm excited to kick that off. Uh, Masi, anything happened since last we spoke a week ago uh, with your uh, with your accommodations or your experiences? I just hear you uh, and I see you on these video conference calls that we do in order to get ready for our uh, for our uh, performances and our uh, production. Well, I did have an embarrassing moment. I'll admit. Um, I pride myself on being able to control myself on the uh when i'm working in the control room but uh when coutinho scored that goal against costa rica i absolutely lost it uh i started jumping up and down it reminded me of there's this famous uh america's funniest home videos clip i saw many years ago my dad and i still joke about it uh it was in spain it was a wedding and there was some guy that was uh sitting there in the in the in the, in the aisles and uh he had some sort of uh radio in his ear and he was listening to a soccer game and right as the bride was coming down the aisle and everybody was just watching all of a sudden this one guy jumps out of the crowd and starts screaming goal goal uncontrollably <laughs> and that was kind of <laughs> everybody sitting there focusing on their work trying to get ready for the post game show and all of a sudden I just jump up and down and start hugging people and it was frankly embarrassing that what can you do well, you can be forgiven, given your uh, your allegiance to uh, to Brazil and the fact that it was such a such a nice goal. We'll get to Brazil and we'll get to uh, all the teams later. But first, as always, we start off our State of the Union podcast with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it is my State of the Union, the point where I look at soccer 
as it relates to the United States. Our CONCACAF friends, Panama, they got destroyed by England. It was six to one. It was nuts. It was a disastrous performance from Panama and certainly not a great advertisement for CONCACAF. But I suppose unlike the U.S., at least Panama had the opportunity to have a disastrous performance at the World Cup. Uh, and make no mistake, Panama deserves to be at the World Cup. This Panama team qualified and earned their spot. And in doing so, they did what the U.S. couldn't do. But when we see this Panama team play and play so poorly, it's natural to imagine what could have been. We imagine that had the U.S. been able to find just one more point along the way in qualifying, they would have been the team facing England here in Russia. And in that moment, the enormity of the failure is crystallized and the pain is real. And it won't be the last time this summer that we were reminded of the failure and we feel that pain. I hope that the U.S. men's national team players are watching. It should hurt. It should hurt badly. I hope that it's a pain that doesn't go away. And to that younger generation of players coming up, the McKennies, the Sargents, the Weyas, the Stephans, etc., use it to remind you. Use it to fuel you. Use it to make sure that under your watch, you and we are never in this position again. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been my State of the Union. All right, David Mossy, did you have the same type of feeling watching that Panama-England game that I had and that I'm sure many U.S. Uh, men's national team fans had? Absolutely. It was unavoidable to think uh, that, you know, this team is, is struggling this way and, and meanwhile the U.S. is not in this World Cup. But uh, let me ask you this. Uh, we've been here now for roughly two and a half weeks. Has there been one moment where it most hit you that the U.S. is not at this World Cup? Was it during the opening match? Was it during Mexico's win over Germany? Or was it during these first couple of Panama games? Has there been one moment you can recall where it really hit you, how, how disappointed you were that the U.S. wasn't a part of this? Well, uh, first off, what, what it hits me numerous times, and sometimes numerous times a day. So our, our, our iconic set that we have, and for those of you that have been watching, and I hope you've been watching, uh, you will see that we come on air and we have this incredible background of uh, Red Square and the Kremlin and, uh, um, and, the, and the cathedral behind us. At times it looks fake, I'll be honest, and I have, uh, I have been asked now numerous times if we are in front of a green screen. Uh, I can tell you that, no, we are actually in Moscow, and that is a real set, and we are at Red Square. But it's, um, we have this stage that is elevated and looks out onto Red Square, a place that is a tourist attraction and there are fans uh, and just tourists all day long. And inevitably the American fans uh, that, are, that are coming over here in droves and numbers will come by our set and we'll scream and yell and I'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll scream USA, they'll have you know, American uh, flags or, or US jerseys. Um, and, and in that moment, uh, I recognize that the World Cup goes on, but it's going on without the U.S. And, and I'm left uh, feeling the loss and feeling the sadness that we have wasted this opportunity. Um, and, and so, when, and when the World Cup kicked off, there was a moment. But uh, but I'll tell you, it really was compounded and, and, and elevated during that Panama game because, as I said, in the State of the Union, you look at that 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 moment and that team and you think well the U.S. just needed a point here or something to go this way or that way and it didn't happen so you put the U.S. in that game playing against England and the fact that that Panama was so bad 
and that it was such a poor reflection on them and and Concacaf. And is that fair? Probably not, but that's just the way it is. And it was it was 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 one of those days where Panama could do nothing right, and they looked completely out of sorts. And England just bulldozed them from start to finish. And you think, well, if the U.S. team, flawed as it was, even with the U.S. team that we had, would it have been any different had they found a way to get that point and possibly be that team that was in that group playing uh, here in Russia against, uh, against England? Something that we have done before playing against England in the World Cup. And certainly, uh, if you look at 2010, when uh, the U.S. was in the group with England and came out of that group, and uh, what was it? it was 1-1 with a, a Clint Dempsey a goal, albeit on a, a, a howler, but we, we played fine in that game. And that, that's where it got a little... It got a little depressing, and uh, and certainly folks on uh, social media uh, made us made us well aware uh, of uh, of the pain that people were feeling and and the uh, the feelings that uh, that it brought up. So yeah, th- those are the times when when it hits me, and it will hit me again. As I said in the State Union, we're going to have other times where we'll say, God, it really would be wonderful to be here, and the enormity of the failure will just be impressed upon us uh, once again. But but as I said, that's that's a good thing. It's a good thing to be reminded, and I hope we don't forget that feeling and that emptiness and that sadness and that uh, feeling of, of loss of not being here. Now, some people are using Panama's performance as an argument against expanding to 48 teams. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm very much against the 48-team World Cup, but not because of dilution of quality. I actually think there's an argument to be made that these teams are only going to get better if you allow them to compete at this stage. So I don't object to expanding the tournament in, 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 in principle, but, uh, but my issue is the format. I think 16 groups of three is ridiculous. Um, so, so that's my main issue with the 48-team World Cup, but not, oh, look at how bad this Panama team is. Why are we letting more teams into this tournament? That in and of itself I don't think is an argument against uh, expanding to 48 teams because, like I said, I, you know, the, the World Cup's been expanding throughout its history. It went from 16 to 24 to 32. And it's always been borne out that after a couple of World Cups with a certain number, it kind of settles into that feeling like the correct number because the, the, the new teams that get in, they get used to competing at that stage, they get better. And so uh, if it was just based on that, I actually think that there could be an argument to expanding to 48. But again, my objection is the format. Well, I, I, I agree with you in that the format is problematic. But I also would argue that even if there is dilution, that's okay. And I, I would specifically point to that game. Uh, where and, and if you watched our coverage, uh, we made a we made a point of making sure that everybody understood. And the pictures that came out after Panama scored the goal, a historic goal. We know that Panama is at the World Cup for the first time ever. They score a goal. Felipe Bedoy scores a goal, and everybody goes nuts. And we cut to the pictures in the stands of the Panamanians going crazy. We cut to the pictures in Panama of the watch watch parties and. We didn't cut the pictures, but we know the eruption of, of celebration, and ultimately within that celebration is pride. And this is a platform, a global platform for uh, for countries. And you know, sometimes we we get lost in the scoreline. And this is this is a competitive environment. I, I I get it, but the the pride and the joy, the sheer joy that Panamanians felt for their country and for their culture at this historic moment, even in a game where they were just getting completely destroyed. That's what the World Cup is ultimately about. We'll talk about the winners and and, and the competition, the scoreline, that'll all be part of the story. But really what it's about are these moments, these iconic moments where 
uh, a Panamanian can say, that is my team. Those are my countrymen out there representing uh, who we are. And while we may have lost the game and while we may have, have been played off the field by this England team in this moment, we have that moment. And to see Felipe Beloy uh, celebrate that, 37 years old, he will go down in history as, as the first. And that, that, was, that was wonderful to see. So um, having more teams have that opportunity, I don't think is a bad thing. Uh, going forward, now the 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 group situation, yeah, that's that's something that's going to have to be uh, that's going to have to be dealt with. The other thing is just using one game as a you know as a as a proxy for what Concacaf is. Once again, it's it's not fair uh, and it doesn't work like that, but it's going to be done, and I get it. The other the other side of the coin was. And we brought this up on our uh, on our post game. You know, I'm on the set with uh, with uh, Ian Wright and Kelly Smith and Kate Abdo um, and uh, you know my good friend uh, John T. Whitehead, um, who uh, is a consultant for us. And they are all English. I was surrounded by English yesterday, and to see their joy, and to and to scratch my head a little bit <laughs> at it, and I, and I needled them a little bit about the fact that. You know, act like you've been there before, uh, and you just beat a horrible Panama team. And as the English are wont to do, they're, they're winning the World Cup. Uh, we have yet to see England actually play anybody of of equal um, of value and of equal talent. We're going to see in this third game them play Belgium, and that will be very very interesting. But you know, we we use these games as markers as to who the team is. Uh, at times, what the league is about, um, at times what the sport is about in that country, uh, at times what the confederation is about. And that's the power uh, and the global nature of these games is that we, we, uh, we use them. Just because Panama got their ass kicked by England doesn't mean that Panamanian soccer isn't good. It doesn't mean that Panama doesn't deserve to be at this World Cup. It doesn't mean that this is a, a, a reflection and a poor reflection on MLS. <laughs> it was just a really, really bad day. But people are going to make those make those accusations and make those uh, those judgments, and, and I get it. Now, uh, putting Mexico aside, because as we know, that, that's a separate case that we don't have to get into today, but uh, have you found yourself rooting for Panama and Costa Rica? Is there a sense of like, CONCACAF uh, pride there that you, you do want to see those teams perform on the stage so you don't have to hear the criticisms about CONCACAF? Yes, uh, I do find myself rooting for my CONCACAF friends and colleagues. I don't have a team at this World Cup. As, as everybody knows, uh, if the United States was here, it would be a completely different situation. Thus, my support for Mexico, and, and I get it, there are people that want nothing to do with supporting our uh, our main rivals in Mexico, um, knock yourself out, go for it. Uh, but just know that that doesn't make you any more uh, authentic or passionate uh, or or even American by saying that there's no chance in hell I would ever support, nor am I supporting Mexico. Uh, yeah, I wanted to see uh, Costa Rica do well. We know they're going out. I wanted to see Panama do well, and we know they're going out. Mexico, so far, so good, although they find themselves in this tricky third game where the potential for them to go out because of that incredible result that Germany had to stay in this tournament uh, puts them uh, on, you know, a, a good so far after two games, but 
it's not out of the realm of possibility that Mexico uh, could go out, which would mean that all three CONCACAF teams uh, are out. We'll see if that happens in that third game. Mexico, I think, is, is playing wonderful and has been a really fun and entertaining team to watch and worthy of my support and worthy of uh, others. Maybe not support, uh, but at the very least, respect. So, you know, that's, that, that's okay. And I know people don't get that. And uh, I, I can respect the fact that you can't understand that. But uh, I, I've made the case time and time again as to why I feel my support for Mexico and my support for other CONCACAF teams is, uh, is justified. Obviously, uh, Costa Rica is going home and uh, Panama is going home. And so, uh, Mexico, you are, you're our only hope here from a CONCACAF perspective. Do you, does that, does, is that strange for you, for someone like me to support uh, a CONCACAF team uh, like Panama or Costa Rica, let alone someone like Mexico? Panama and Costa Rica, no, but Mexico, yes. Uh, we talked about this back in L.A. I just think that the, the basic principles of a sporting rivalry are that, uh, you know, a, a Yankees fan is never going to root for the Red Sox and vice versa, Michigan, Ohio State. Um, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and so I, I sort of put U.S.-Mexico in that bracket. I think it's actually one of the best rivalries in international soccer, and you know, you don't have to hate each other, but it, it would be weird that uh, w when your team doesn't qualify for the World Cup and you have your choice of 32 teams, the one you would gravitate to is <laughs> your biggest rival. So, yeah, it, 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 it hits me kind of strange, but uh, I think this whole debate spiraled out of control, and people are getting too worked up about it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't go into that anymore. We've uh, we've made our feelings uh, uh, known. Um, okay, Mossy, listen, uh, we got things to do. We got places to go. We got games to broadcast. Uh, so let's move on to our next segment. All right, it is time for our Fox Sports Power Rankings. Oh my goodness, Mossy, we put these out and all hell broke loose. People agreeing, people disagreeing, people screaming and yelling about why this team wasn't higher, why this team was too high. And so to give you an idea, last week, this was our top 10. This was our Fox Sports Power Rankings. Coming in at 10 was Argentina, 9 was Uruguay, 8 was England, 7 was Mexico, 6 was Germany, 5 was France, 4 was Brazil, and then our top 3 was Portugal at 3, Belgium at 2, Spain at 1. So now we have another week of games. Uh, we have seen these teams now play multiple times. And obviously uh, and expectedly, our top 10 is going to change. So without further ado, this is our top 10. And once again, I remind you, this is a culmination of some of the best minds in soccer coming together to give us our top 10. It's not necessarily my top 10. It's not necessarily Mossy's top 10, but this uh, these brains that we have working uh, over here and working for Fox Sports have come together with this. You can agree, you can disagree. Uh, that is your prerogative. All right, so coming in at number 10, Uruguay. Nine, Mexico. Eight, Germany. Seven, Croatia. Six, France. Five, England. Four, Brazil. And our top three, remember our top three last week was Portugal at three, Belgium at two, and Spain at one. Our top three... Portugal at three, no change there. Spain at two, a change there, falling from the number one spot. And our new number one this week is Belgium. All right, so as I said, uh, some of the changes, Belgium leaping, leaping into that number one spot over Spain. Argentina falls out of the top ten after a disastrous week. 
England moves into the top five because they're winning the World Cup after beating Panama. Mexico and Germany drop despite wins uh, in their second games. And then uh, a, a top 10 with a bullet, Croatia, coming into our top 10, making their debut. All right. Mossy, so much to talk about. You've had another week of games. You now know these teams a little bit better in terms of what their versions are at the World Cup. What jumps out at you, my friend? Well, the two omissions, the two teams I think you could make a case should be in there are, number one, Russia. I know it's Saudi Arabia and Egypt, but I do think there's something special happening here. I'm very curious to see how they fare against Uruguay. Uh, and there's so many great stories on this team. I mean, Cherishev, this guy's claim to fame, uh, was that he got Real Madrid kicked out of a Copa del Rey one season because they fielded him and he was uh, ineligible for uh, playing that game. And here he is. I mean, he didn't even start the first game. Zagoev gets injured. He comes in, and now he's one of the stars of the tournament. Obviously, Zuba, a uh, guy who you know, we covered in the Europa League with Zenit. He's the, the Russian Zlatan and, and Golovin, who's backing up all the hype. I think he's been terrific. So Russia's a team I really like what I've seen from them. You can make a case they should be in there. And then the other one is Colombia. Uh, who was in our original top 10. We dropped him out after that Japan loss. But the more I think about it, that might have been harsh because they got a red card at the third minute of that game and, and they still played really well. And keep in mind, Hamas didn't even start that game. He wasn't fit. He only came in for the last 30 minutes. We saw in this last match against Poland, 11 on 11 with Hamas in there from the start. Uh, they absolutely dismantled Poland. And to me, they looked like a top 10 team in that game. So Colombia is somebody you could really make a case for that should have been in there. Uh, what are your thoughts on both of those? Okay, Mossy, that's all fine and well making a case, but if one goes in, then one has to come out. So in our top 10 here, you're going to put Russia and you're going to put Colombia in, which, which I can certainly make a case for, much more so for Colombia than Russia, but, but, but I digress. So if you're going to put those two in, which one of our top 10 that exists right now is getting booted? Well, you know, it's funny. I was very high on Uruguay coming into this tournament, but it was all based on this premise that they had these – exciting young players that were going to give this team a whole different feel. And all it took was uh, one bad game uh, against Egypt in the opener for Tabarez to complete ditch that plan. He dropped uh, Nandez, who was my breakout player pick for Group A, so I'm looking foolish on that. Uh, he dropped Nandez and Arascaeta and, and brought in uh, Rodriguez and Sanchez. And, and, and also, he's he doing something strange at left back. He's starting Casares instead of Laxalt. And all of a sudden, they're back to feeling like this aging plotting team and this isn't the Uruguay I expected the Uruguay that I picked to go all the way to the semifinals so I've been frankly bummed by Uruguay so far so you could make a case they should drop out the other manager that annoyed me uh, with something similar is Didier Deschamps uh, I thought he got the lineup right for the first game against Australia by, by leaving Drew on the bench starting Dembele Mbappe and Griezmann uh, okay they didn't play well in that game but to ditch it after one game and, and go back to Giroud, to me, was – I mean, he lost his nerve there. To me, you know, you, you go back to the last friendly before the World Cup against Italy when he started Dembele, and he was sensational. He scored a beautiful goal in that game. Everybody came away from that thinking, yes, this is the lineup. This is the way forward. There, there's more upside here. If these guys click, this is how they can win the World Cup. And then, like I said, after one bad game, to turn around and go back to Giroud. And they didn't even play that well any better in the second game against Peru. So, I mean, I don't know what the point of it was. So, um France and Uruguay are two teams that have disappointed me so far. And Uruguay, I think you could make a real case, don't belong in this top 10 anymore. 
Okay, I, I look at our top 10, and I think Croatia should be higher. I am really, really bullish about Croatia. They're coming at number seven this week. Uh, and I think England is too high at number five. Once again, we mentioned the fact that they have yet to play anyone, and uh, it's as if they're, they're, they're on their way to uh, the promised land of winning the World Cup. And, and by the way, before you start screaming and yelling at me, I like this new England team. Uh, I think that there is something positive um, and there is something progressive and there is something different about the field to this team. But I just don't see yet that they are a number five team in our, in our, uh, in our power rankings. All right. Okay, Masi, uh, as we mentioned, there is no Argentina this week in our top ten. This is a train wreck. It's wonderful for us because it gives us content each and every day. We come to find out uh, this week of the complete turmoil uh, and inner turmoil that is going on in that, uh, in that team with relationships between the players and the other players and players, and more importantly, players and Sampaoli right now. There was even talk that, he, that Sampaoli was going to be dismissed mid-tournament before this third game. And after all the, the craziness and all the turmoil, they still sit uh, in, in an opportunity where they can go through. Number one, uh, thoughts on Argentina so far. Uh, and, and number two, do you think after all is said and done in this group stage that they still find a way through? Yeah, this is the story of the tournament uh, so far for me. And, and listen, as far as Messi, you know, both things can be true. I mean, I, I was pointing out in all the podcasts uh, we were doing uh, how lousy I thought this team was coming into the World Cup. Uh, yes, there's talent there, but a lot of it is sitting on the bench. Uh, Sampaoli has this uh, compulsion with, with – he thinks when the, when the going gets tough, the solution is to put worse players on the field. And he did that in that second game, dropping Di Maria for Acuna. And, and the fact that Dybala uh, didn't get a minute in that first game against Iceland, Banega and Di Maria don't get a minute um, against Croatia is just crazy to me. I mean, you know, it's, I, I don't think they have a, a great team top to bottom because I think there are a lot of issues – at the back, but but the one thing they do have is impressive attacking talent, and he's not using a lot of it. So I think he's really lost the plot. I can understand why the players are frustrated. So Messi, the, the team has kind of crumbled around them, and there's not a lot there for him to work with. But still, uh, and I'm I'm a big Messi fan. You know, I'm bullish on Messi over Ronaldo. But I have to admit, I mean, he's got to rise above all this and play better than he has in these two games. And his body language is dreadful. Uh, and so I, I think he he does deserve some criticism, although, you know, allowing for the fact that the team around him, like I said, is pretty lousy. So, uh, but yeah, like you said, with all that, they still, you know, if they go out and beat Nigeria, they're probably going to go through. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll see like similar to the Ecuador performance in that last qualifier, Messi will summon up the strength to bag a hat trick or something here. They have this incredible history against Nigeria. It's the fifth time they'll face them in the group stage in the last seven World Cups. And they've won the previous four. If you remember 94, that was Maradona's last ever World Cup game. He tested positive for doping. After that, Kanija scored the two goals. Um, you had uh, Batistuta got the winner in 2002. So they, they've had their number over the years. Great game four years ago with Messi and Musa dueling. They each got two goals. So, I don't know, the stage is set actually here for, for a real redemption here for Messi to have a big performance and them to win and somehow scrape their way out of the stage. Uh, I will caution folks out there, and, and we, are, we are guilty of this as television people, is we, we live off of pictures, and we love to ascribe our thoughts to pictures, and we love uh, to, to look at, at uh, body language, as you mentioned, and say, well, this is what this person is thinking in this moment. And so those, those now iconic moments of messy uh, holding his brow during the national anthem or ripping off his captain's band. 
I would just caution folks out there that just because we we may say that that this is a bad look, um, and while it may be in terms of the aesthetic and the optics of it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what that person is thinking and doing there. Um, you know, in, in the same way that you know, if you're, uh, oftentimes it, it 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 worries me, for example, when people say. Uh, oh, this person should be emotional here, should be crying here. A normal person, given this news, would do this. Well, we are all different in the way that we, that we react to different emotions, especially high pressure and emotional moments, such as a, a World Cup. And so, uh, so going forward, <laughs> we're going to do it because that's, that's what we do as human beings, and certainly that's what we do in, uh, do in television. And it's not a good look. But it doesn't necessarily mean that because he's holding his brow during the national anthem, that the weight of the world is on his shoulders and and uh, and he's going to play poorly. I do agree with you that he does need to, to to play better individually. And yes, he is not at times surrounded by talent that is also living up to uh, to, to how good they are. Um, but it's going to be fun, and it would not surprise me in the least. If Argentina, like you said, wins their last game, goes through and puts this group stage behind and then finds a way into the deep uh, parts of this, uh, this tournament. But things certainly have to change uh, going forward. Um, all right. Enough about Argentina. Another team that we saw just incredible scenes with was this Germany team, the defending champions, uh, Germany. Their last minute uh, win with the last minute goal in stoppage time. Uh, off the off the once more a, a set piece the theme for this World Cup set pieces set pieces set pieces was something to behold. It was so German in the confidence and the beautiful arrogance and the lack of panic at a time when most teams and players would be panicking. Uh, thoughts on Germany so far as the defending champs? It, it, they have not. They played two games now. Neither one has been anything to write home about but they are certainly giving us plenty to talk about in, from the entertainment aspect of it. Yeah, you know, we, we've thrown up this graphic several times of how poorly defending champions have fared recently. France in 2002, um, Italy in 2010, Spain in 2014, all got knocked out in the group stage. And, and I think the reason is it's human nature for coaches to stay loyal to the guys that won them the trophy four years earlier, even if they perhaps might not be your best players uh, anymore, and we're seeing that with Germany now. To to Joachim Love's credit, he did have did have the courage to drop both Ozil and Kadir for this game. But there's probably a couple more, uh, if we're being honest, of those veterans that that need to be dropped as well. I know it sounds crazy, but through two games, Julian Brandt, for example, has looked a lot better to me than Thomas Muller. And but you know, is is Joachim Love going to have the, the the courage to drop Thomas Muller in this tournament? You look at the back. Uh, Jerome Boateng has been awful. You know, I, I know he's suspended now, but when he comes back, I mean, should he? Uh, move right back into the starting lineup, or should you give a Sula or a Rudiger uh, a chance? So he's going to have to make some tough calls there. This World Cup might have to become more about the Brands and the Verners than it is about the Mullers and the Kadiras and Ozils. Uh, and and that, that's a tricky situation for, for a coach to manage. But there, you mentioned they did get the goal, and now they're in the position to uh, advance. If they beat South Korea, which I think they will, they should go through. And by the way, if they finish second in that group and Brazil win theirs, that sets up just about the greatest round of 16 game I can ever 
recall it, if it's Brazil, Germany uh, in the round of 16, which would be amazing. The number crunching that's going to go on in some of these groups in these last days, uh, you know, the Mexico, Sweden, Germany deal could be fascinating. We mentioned England and Belgium before. The fact that England are ahead right now on fair play points and that first place in that group could be decided by like a yellow card in the 90th minute of that game if they're if they're tied it is crazy to me but yeah the the germany scenario is going to be fascinating but yeah i, I do think that they go through and then you know we'll see if he can make the right adjustments moving forward anybody else you want to talk about in our top 10 i think I, we, we should obviously talk about the number one because we do have a new number one belgium they are flying through this tournament lukaku is on fire and hazard uh de bruyne uh this is a team that for the last couple of World Cups has been uh, undeniable talent, but can they get this talent together? Roberto Martinez right now, at least for the first two games, uh, it is a juggernaut and it's, uh, and it's living up to some people's expectations. It's introducing this team to others, uh, which is why they are number one with a bullet right now. But is, is it still early days? Is this, uh, is this a paper lion or is this a true team that you think can go deep in this tournament with what you've seen so far? Yeah, a couple more things for me on this top 10. Um, as far as Belgium and England, uh, you know, it's been a big theme in recent World Cups that Premier League players have arrived tired. Um, and, and obviously England's entire team is Premier League players and Belgium has a lot of them. So that was my main concern with these teams. And I know, you know it's, it's difficult to factor in uh, level of competition and those teams haven't played anybody. But the reason they're high up there for me is because uh, the, the, the thing that was the biggest concern, they, they've sort of eliminated that as an issue. I mean, they, both those teams look very fresh to me. The players don't look fatigued at all. And, yeah, we'll, we'll see, obviously, when they face each other and, and the bigger tests ahead. But uh, for now, Belgium, I think it's sort of confirmed uh, some of the optimism they had going in. I mean, the talent is undeniable. And the fact that Lukaku, De Bruyne, Hazard all look to be in good form and fresh, even after coming off a, a Premier League season, to me, it, right now, I think they're deserving at that number one spot. Like you said, that could change, certainly, moving forward. Um, but, but I don't have an issue with them being number one. Uh, and then, you know, the last point I would make is, uh, let me get a word in on Brazil. Uh, you mentioned before with Messi, you know, it's, it's dangerous to read too much about body language and, and facial expressions and all that. But I was deeply concerned by the Neymar tears. Uh, four years ago when Brazil went out the World Cup, uh, one of, you know, there were a myriad of reasons for that, but one of them was how emotionally unstable the team was. And, and Chichi made a big point of saying it was going to be different this time. And for your star player to break down crying after the second group game against Costa Rica, I'm almost as disturbed by that as I am by the fact that Fogner is now starting games at right back. Uh, but to me, I don't know. I mean, Neymar, he looked like John Boehner. I mean, it, get it together, man. I thought that was very concerning. I, I don't know what your thoughts were on, <laughs> on all that. It, it was incredibly strange to see that. And look, uh, there's there's nothing wrong with crying, okay? Uh, I'm I'm the first person to cry. I actually started this tournament off by shedding tears uh, when the 2026 announcement was made and the and the U.S. Canada Mexico joint bid was awarded uh, the World Cup. Uh, and and you can certainly find me uh, uh, often uh, in the fetal position, curled up, uh, crying to myself after someone. Uh, probably someone listening has said something mean to me. So crying, crying's not a problem, but you got to pick and choose your time when it comes to waterworks. And for me, this was, um, and and hearing him talk after the game and say, you know, saying, you know, everything that I've been through, well, what, what have you been through? You, you recovered from an injury, um, an injury that by the way, someone like Manuel Neuer had, uh, I didn't see Manuel Neuer crying the other day when, when Germany won. You recovered from an injury, which is something that players do all the time. Uh, you, um, you beat 
Costa Rica. Well, you're Brazil. Of course, you're supposed to beat Costa Rica. You won a group game. Uh, well, you are playing for a team that doesn't worry about winning group games. It worries about winning World Cups. So I, I, I don't understand. And once again, we're not privy to everything that's going on. So I can only judge with, with what I know. There might be a million other things that are going on in his life that, 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 that came together and in that moment made him break down. But once again, uh, these are the optics. And we may be completely misreading them, but that's what we do. And it's all we have to go on are these pictures and what we see and what they say to us. And we might be completely wrong in the way that we are reading these pictures and these, uh, these actions uh, of these players, but it's still fun to do and it's not going to stop. We're going to continue to do. And if I was a Brazilian fan, I would be saying, uh, um, what, what's, what's going on there? And, and, and you're almost, you're diluting the power of the cry. And it should be said that this has been not just the World Cup of set pieces, but also the World Cup of crying. Uh, we are seeing players, we are seeing coaches, we are seeing members of the media, we are certainly seeing fans uh, at times break, breaking down and, and, and crying out there. And, and, and as I said, it's not in and of itself a problem, but when you see Neymar on that, uh, on, at the end of that game, uh, sitting on the field, sobbing uh, to himself, it's, it's a moment that, that you want to say, oh, and yet, in that moment, I think most of us said, come on, man. So uh, we'll see how that ultimately manifests itself uh, in this team going forward. But um, are you still bullish about this Brazil team? Because I've made the case that the star really right now for this team, for this Brazilian team, is Coutinho. Are you still bullish going forward that this is a team that's going to challenge for the Cup? Uh, no, I'm very concerned. Uh, I don't like what I've seen through two games. And keep in mind, Neymar, Coutinho, and Casemiro are all in yellow card peril right now. If they got booked against Serbia, they would be suspended for the round of 16, which, as I said earlier, could potentially be against Germany. Uh, so that's a major issue, especially with Neymar, because when you see how unstable he is, I mean, he's a yellow card waiting to happen every time he steps on the field between the arguing with officials, the dives, the scuffles he gets into. And so, frankly, if I was a betting man, I think one of those three is going to get booked against Serbia and, and we're not going to have them for the next game. So uh, I'm frankly praying that somehow Sweden finishes second in that group because that's the one team I, I'd be the least worried about <laughs> of between Germany, Mexico, and Sweden. But no, I, I'm, I'm deeply concerned. I mentioned the right-back situation. It's a major problem. You know, when, when you bring a, a lousy player to a tournament like this, it, it's unavoidable. He's going to somehow end up having to play a part. And now Fogner is starting games. Uh, I, I don't wait at all. I would play Marquinhos at right back, frankly, if Danilo doesn't come back. Douglas Costa, who probably would have started the next game in place of William, uh, which I would have been all for. He now gets injured. He might be out for the next couple of games. So, yeah, there, there, there's some bad things happening with this, this Brazil team. All of a sudden, my, my confidence has been greatly shaken. Well, look, a, a week from now when we talk again, our, 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 uh, our perception of players and teams and of this tournament will have changed once again. That's what happens after each and every game. Uh, what's probably going to happen is after all the hooting and hollering, uh, the usual suspects are going to show up. There's not going to be a whole lot of surprises, I predict, ultimately, to get out of these groups, with the exception of maybe a, a Senegal, uh, which is another team that we don't have in our top 10, but certainly is a force to be reckoned with, with what they have done uh, so far, and then certainly could see themselves into that uh, uh, into that uh, group, uh, into the round of 16 uh, going forward. But we will have another 
Talk Sports Power Rankings next week. Please let us know uh, if you agree, if you disagree, if you just want to scream and yell at us uh, on all the different social media platforms. Uh, we are going through those, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook. We are, uh, we are hearing you, uh, and whether, whether it's, it's positive or negative, we are hearing you, and we appreciate that when you take the time to become involved in this, uh, in this conversation. Uh, all right, Mossy, any final uh, words before, uh, before I sign off here? Uh, still loving every minute of this. Moscow is fantastic. Uh, tournament's been great so far, and uh, really excited for what's still ahead. Well, uh, as we finish up this uh, this week's State of the Union podcast, my one big thing is uh, related to that, and that is just just how much fun uh, this has been. Uh, we are burning it at both ends, and this is not in any way a complaint because there are people out there that would kill or die to be in our position to be able to cover a World Cup and to be able to day in and day out live this incredible life and this experience this incredible Groundhog Day type of existence, but the best Groundhog Day that you have ever lived. And each and every day brings new drama on and off the field. And to be in the thick of things and to see how uh, a a news story takes a life of its own and how it's interpreted by all the different media that are here and all the different cultures that are here. It is, it is something to, to, to behold. And, and once again, Russia is playing a huge part. The country of Russia is playing a huge part and we're bringing it to you uh, each and every day. And it is uh, not just uh, a, an incredible privilege, but as I've told you before, a responsibility and we don't take it lightly. Uh, it is something that uh, is near and dear to us and a labor of love with what we are doing. Uh, we still got a long way to go. I mentioned uh, we just finished up 32 games in a row. Uh, we move on now. Uh, next time you hear us, the group stage will be over. We move on now to simultaneous games, which is always fun. There is something to play for in each and every one of these groups. There are very few games that have no significance uh, going forward, pe whether people are jockeying for position in that round of 16 or just jockeying to get to that round 16. Uh, it is, it is all, to, all to be played for by a lot of teams out there. And we will have a new uh, uh, Fox Sports Power Rankings that will change, uh, and there are going to be some people that fall out. And there are going to be some people that uh, that come back in, but that is that is to say that this still, uh, for me, is just the best time. And if you ever get an opportunity to go to a World Cup, you might be the biggest soccer fan out there. This this changes your perception and enhances your perception of the game that we all know and love. And if you do get a chance uh, to go, whether it's a men's uh, or a women's uh, uh, World Cup out there. Think twice before refusing that or before, before going someplace else. It is, uh, it is something to behold. And we are incredibly fortunate, as I mentioned, to be able to, uh, to do this. All right, listen, um, that ends our podcast for this week. Uh, apologies again for the audio. We uh, are in different places, and it's just the way that it's going to have to work. This, this renegade and this gorilla-type podcasting that we're doing right now is also reflected uh, in the audio. And for all you audiophiles out there, that are going to yell and scream and say, yes, but you should do this. I get it. I understand that. But this is the way that it is. Um, please bear with us as we go through this incredible experience here at the World Cup. Uh, we'll have another uh, State of the Union podcast for you next week. Until then, uh, we are doing daily State of the Union podcasts uh, in, the, in the video and the audio form that you can find out there online. Uh, each and every day, I'm cranking out another 
reaction to something or a reaction to the day. Uh, and you can find those. It's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's quick. It's short. Um, and hopefully it's interesting and entertaining in what you're doing. All right, Mossy, thanks again. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, we will talk to you again next week. And as always, side the deck.